Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Morning, Crosswalk. Please take a seat. Yeah, go ahead and sit down. So I'm imagining you guys are saying, whoa, Pastor Jeff is up there and Pastor Dan at the same time, two teaching pastors on stage. And it's not his birthday again. With each other. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But we are here for a reason. And as many of you know, this is an exciting time for us at Crosswalk. In November, we had our Next Steps Forum. And this coming April, we're going to be launching our next big campaign called Beyond Borders so that we can take the gospel into more areas of this 4 million wide metro area and even around the world using technology. So we're so excited. It's all going to begin actually on Easter with uh, bringing our Saturday night service here to Chavez. What we're here to talk to you about today, though, is what we feel is foundational to all of that, and that's because Beyond Borders will be funded through our over and above gifts that we give to the Lord, and we feel like it's important that we start, first of all, with just talking about regular thank you giving to Jesus for all the blessings, spiritual and physical, that he's given to us. So can I ask you to do me a favor? Reach inside your program, and inside you'll find a brochure that says 90-Day Giving Challenge. For the next 90 days, we're going to just be talking about our regular thank you giving, not to Crosswalk, but to the Lord. Absolutely, and as we do that, it's in the (coughs) 90-Day Giving Challenge, and And as we break it down, that is, first of all, what we want to do as we look at what it is, what it isn't, uh, maybe just start with the name of it. Yeah, so 90-Day Giving Challenge. And what we want you to understand is what it is, is what I said. It's it's us responding uh, in thanksgiving to the Lord with our gifts and offerings. What it isn't is not another ploy, as it says here uh, in your brochure. It's not another ploy to get more money for Crosswalk. There are many ways that you that you give to the Lord. But this will go over the next 90 days, and we will be talking a little bit about it each weekend as we go through the next three months. Yeah, and then it's also giving. And one of the things that sometimes I help Doug take down, and one of the things I take down is the crosswalk banners. And on there are the values that we have as crosswalk. And the W of crosswalk is the willingness to share our wealth. And and that's the generosity. That's the giving part of this. It's part of what Crosswalk is. It's part of who each one of us is as a Christian. Yep. And the last word is challenge. And what we are going to um, guarantee you is that parts of this for the next 90 days are going to represent a challenge to all of us, to, to ourselves as well. And one of the first things that we're going to do, for instance, is challenge you to figure out what what are what's the blessings that God have given you what what are what for example what's your gross income that God is giving you and then look at what percentage of that that you're returning to the Lord in thanks now now you know in a lot of churches they they tell you a number that should be in front of that percentage we don't do that here at crosswalk but in the absence of that we we don't say you shouldn't know what the number is and so the first part of the challenge is, how much are you currently, percentage-wise, 
giving back to the Lord to say thank you to him for all his blessings. And a second part then, as we look at, because it's challenging, because it's hard. And, and a part of it that, that has been a challenge, and, and one of them as I look at my own family that we're, uh, we're looking at is we've gone through an interesting time right now. We just bought a home. And when you get into a new home, there's a lot of things to buy. And it is just human nature to want to put those things first. But, but a part of this challenge is going to give first fruit giving. Uh, not giving God our leftovers, but, but as we look at the gifts he's given us to say, you know what, off the top of it, this is going to go as a gift to God. Like before my taxes, before yeah. my mortgage, before my water bill and my electric bill. Yeah, 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 that's first fruit. So as we look at that, that's the, Jeff, that's why it's called a challenge. It's not right. called a challenge because right. it's easy. And, and, and that's why this is going to take 90 days because some of this is going to require some real practical looks at how do we go about this. The last part of the challenge of this is going to be to take whatever percentage that you identify as yours today and ask yourself, am I, am I willing to bump that up to, to say thank you to the Lord just a little bit more for what he's giving me and make that a regular gift to the Lord? Am I willing to give back to the Lord whenever he gives something to me? And I think this is great because ultimately what this is going to do is I believe the 90-day giving challenge is going to help promote health inside of Crosswalk and, and not just Crosswalk, but my own family as well. And so for today, that, that's as much as we'll do today. But uh, the next step then is your homework for this in the next week is simply to go back and count the blessings that God has given you. For every person, this will be a different amount. That, and that it, it doesn't make any difference what that amount is. But you take time to count the blessings that God has given you and then ask yourself the question, what is the way that I want to respond? And I want to encourage you to start not with physical blessings like your salary, Start with spiritual blessings because that's, that's where Jesus starts. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, heaven. And once you go from there, you writing that down? I just, I'm, it just reminded me too, I'm putting on my list, Jeff Gunn, of oh, the things wow. I have to give thanks for. Mm, that is touching. <laughs> All right. So once you do that, here's what we're going to ask you to consider. Put it somewhere where you can keep it, like on your computer or um, on your on your uh, phone. But then, if you would, print out a, a paper copy of it. You, you can keep it anonymous. You don't have to have your name to it. We thought it would be cool to put a couple of boxes out here for the next couple weeks and just fill those boxes with all the blessings that we're all receiving and together as a church family count our blessings. Wouldn't that be cool to see those boxes overflowing with all the blessings? So bring those next week, will you? I'm going to go start right now. Right. Thank you. (laughs) Let's dive into Matthew chapter 5. As Pastor Dan said earlier, we're in the Healer series. This is week two. We're learning about how to be spiritually resilient people. So I want you to reach inside your program Pull out your crosswalk notes. These will be really helpful to you to follow along and write down some notes that you'll find helpful later in the week. Also, open up your Bibles, or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, we're the church that tells you to turn your phone on during church so you can see your Bible app on your phone. Matthew chapter 5. Wow. Let me, let me start this way. 
It was complete bedlam. I, I, I'm talking about total chaos here. This, this was Beatlemania and Justin Bieber fever rolled into one big package. This was, this was all the movie stars coming together at, at, at once on the red carpet at the Golden Globes and, and people shouting and people mingling around and it was completely out of control. And, and you might say, well, if you had Mark Wahlberg and Angelina Jolie and they came and you'd think about that kind of bedlam, it would be very similar to that, except for it was completely different from that. I mean, it was exactly the same in, in maybe what you would have seen on the outside in terms of just the chaos. But the reason for the chaos was completely different in this case. This this was not about celebrity. And that's why in one way it might look like Beatlemania or Bieber fever or Mark Wahlberg arriving, but in another way, totally different because this was about someone that was addressing real needs, deep needs that people had. What I'm talking about is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I'm talking about the verses that lead in to the Sermon on the Mount. You see, I asked you to open up to Matthew chapter 5, and that's the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And it, and it starts with a segment that's actually so famous that it's been named. It's called the Beatitudes, the, the blessings, in other words. But if you have your Bible, just take a look back at what's happening before Jesus preaches this Sermon on the Mount. In the very end of chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee and he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Wow, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Now, listen to this list and, and, and see if the word bedlam does not pop into your head. It did in my mind. They brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. Can you imagine the groans? The demon-possessed? wonder what that sounded like. Those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea. This is large crowds from like five, six different regions. They came from across the Jordan and followed him. Now, I think Jesus seeing this and, and healing all these people with these deep, deep needs. If he would not have been the son of God, I think he might have been a little bit worried about these young men that he had really just called to follow him, the, the 12. And, and, and I want you to think of it now. Now, here's where maybe it's a little bit similar to Bieber fever, Beatlemania. When you become a follower of the people who are famous, it's easy to get caught up in that and begin to think, hey, look, we're... We're related to this guy. And you know, don't you, that later on, Jesus actually 
gives the disciples authority to go out and share the gospel message with others and even grants them power to do things like get rid of demons and heal people. So it would be so easy for the disciples in that scenario to start getting pretty full of themselves and to start thinking more of themselves than they really ought to. And so Jesus does something kind of cool, maybe a little bit surprising here. And I didn't put this in your notes, but let me read chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the final lead up to what is in your notes. Now, when he saw the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside and sat down. And then it says something kind of surprising. Even though they're up on this mountainside, it says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, you see, I believe that this is the inner circle. This is the 12 disciples. Now, it it doesn't say that exactly. It might have been others who were following him at that time. But I picture those 12, at least if it was all those who were believing in him, those 12 are sitting right there. And Jesus has something important to tell them because this is the beginning of his ministry. And already crowds of people are pressing in on them, wanting their needs to be met. And Jesus is saying, before we go out there together to do this, you guys got to hear some stuff. And you got to know what's coming and you got to be prepared for it. And, and I'm going to say these words to prepare you for that and also for what's coming in the rest of this sermon. So I want, let's read this now, understanding the, the context. And we'll, we'll go through these verses and then I'm going to begin to explain them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's what I think Jesus foresaw as a danger for the disciples caught up, not in Beatlemania or Bieber fever, but caught up in in Jesus' mania. And Jesus' fever. He foresaw that they could develop a God complex, that they could begin to think that they could carry the responsibility of things that they couldn't, that, that they should try to do things beyond their own human limits, and that they needed to understand that He was the one and only God. and And they are not. And really, if you want to know the truth, that's what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about getting us to realize God is God and and we are not. And I'll go more in depth on that, but he starts out with these beatitudes because what do do we all want to know? Don't, Don't you want to know? I know I certainly want to know. How can I be in the path of God's blessing? And I, in my life, I want to know that. I want to know where is God going to be walking so that he can bless me? 
And, and when I find that spot, I'm going to camp out there. And that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples here. He's teaching them humility. Your blessings are really going to come from my hand, not your own. And he's teaching them locality. Here's where to go so that you can find happiness and blessing in your life. And he's really saying to them, don't be tempted to fall into the lie and into the trap of a God complex and thinking that you are in control, that you can carry more responsibility than you as a human being really can, and that you ought to be going out and saving the world because there is only one savior of the world, and that is me. And so he attacks this directly by pointing out things already here in the Beatitudes that make them realize, you know what? We're in trouble if this is true. I mean, if you look at those words, really look at them, what we just read, those are pretty shocking words. That blessing comes out of things that are almost the exact opposite of what we in our culture teach blessing comes from, success comes from. And what we're going to learn from Jesus is that the things that he calls us to be, we're not naturally any of those. And that we need to understand that, hey, we have needs and we need to be humble about those needs and accepting of those needs. I think the disciples got it. And you know why I think they got it? Because one of the disciples was a fellow named John. And many, many, many years later, one of the first things he says, it's only verse 8 in his letter, he says, you know what? We have to be real. And that's what this message is, is about above all else today, is getting real, being transparent, being open, taking our masks off and and understanding the power and the opportunity that lies behind the door of identifying that we have needs. Now, that's not easy for any of us. Most of us don't like to admit that we have needs because what adjective goes with someone who has needs? Oh, man, that person is really needy. Who wants that to be their reputation? Not many of us. And furthermore, when we get truly transparent, guess what happens? If if you get really open, take your mask off, do you know what you give to people? You give them weapons. Because if you're being really transparent about who you are, you're telling them, you're telling other people and trusting other people with things about yourself, things that maybe only go on up here or in here, And you're giving them away to other people. And guess what is frightening? Those things might come back later as little knives used against you. You see how hard that is? And that's why it's so hard. Because when you're being transparent, you're also being vulnerable. You're taking the mask off, but you're also taking your armor off. And and you're saying, okay, I'm going to open up. And I'm going to open up first and foremost to myself. Do you know how big of a struggle even that is? 
there's a reason psychologists have a word. It's called denial. And you know what denial is? Denial is the fact that I can't even be transparent and open with myself. We, we protect ourselves from knowing who we really are, much less our spouses, our brothers and sisters, our parents, our friends. Think about your very best friend. Think about your spouse. Are there still dark corners of your life that they don't know? You know what? For most of us, there are. Because we're afraid to be that transparent and that vulnerable. And that's what we're talking about today is that if we can get real, if we can, you know, we have those banners outside. Pastor Dan mentioned them. He mentioned willing to share our wealth generously. There's another one that's very much a part of today's message. It's in the two S's. Strong in grace is one. Do you know what the other one is? Strong in truth. Today's message is about, are you willing to really get strong in truth? And take off the mask, be real people like our tagline says, for yourself and for those closest to you and ultimately and most importantly for God. Notice what John says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves first when we won't get real and admit where we've gone wrong. And the truth is not in us. We are not strong in truth when we, when we claim that we are not at fault, when we are not to blame, that we are not guilty, that we have not sinned. We are not strong in truth, not in the least. So here's what I want you to write down. I must be strong in truth because, you know, in this message series, we're talking about resilience. Resilience begins with a reality check. I must be strong in truth because resilience begins with a reality check. Now I'm going to do something a little goofy here. I had this, I had to choose where I wanted the word resilience and I want it back at the end. So flip your page over just briefly. Like I said, we're talking in this series about developing spiritual resilience and I I want that to be defined so that you can understand what what is our goal for being real and being strong in truth and having a reality check. It's to be the kind of people who are not easily damaged when we're hit stretched or squeezed. Pastor Dan shared that definition with us last week. To be the kind of people who will always bounce back to our God-designed shape. That's what we're shooting for in this series. And that's why it's called the healer because Jesus is the one who can give us those abilities. The question today is, how does Jesus work that? I mean, practically speaking, how does Jesus heal? And, and today's message is this. The first step to encountering Jesus' healing is getting real. Is, is being open, taking the mask off, sharing with others what your needs are. Now, I told you that it was crazy. It was crazy when Jesus got up on that mountain and he actually went there, I believe, to kind of just get, get away with, with his select few to teach them some things that he wants them to know. 
But do you know what happened after the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing? I think there's a reason why that story is positioned in Matthew 8. Because after Jesus gets all done teaching the entire Sermon on the Mount, there's this story, this wonderful story of a soldier, a centurion, who comes up to Jesus and his servant is ill. Now, remember what I just said about revealing needs. We don't like to do that. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to be needy. And we don't want to give people weapons that they can use against us in the future. But here's a guy whose whole culture as a soldier is built around not being weak or needy or any of that. And yet he comes up to Jesus and says, I need some help. I don't know if you've uh, heard uh, anything about this new movie, Lone Survivor. I, I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've, I've heard one line from this movie where they're really getting hurt and they're, they're getting damaged. And I'm not spoiling anything because the title is Lone Survivor. Only one of them survives. But during all of this, you know what? One line, these soldiers with this soldier mentality keep asking one another, can you still fight? Can you still fight? And do you know what they answer? And it's interesting because in, in the interview, one of the soldiers, the, uh, one of the actors playing the soldier said, you know why they always answered this? The soldiers told me we answered this way. Yes, I can still fight. Not so much to convince the others, but more to convince ourselves. See, that's the culture of this centurion. A soldier trained to think exactly like that. I can still fight. I have this under control. Talk about God complex. Talk about willingness to conquer a world and bear the weight on his shoulders. This guy has it. And yet strangely, weirdly, and maybe this is one of the reasons why Jesus says he's amazed at the faith of the centurion because it starts with when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him And I want you to underline these words, asking for help. Wow, is that hard to do, guys? It's hard for us to do. Just to ask for help. But here's the reality. It's a biblical reality, and it's your reality even outside of the Bible. Reality is filled with needs. We all have them. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that ironically, when Jesus talks about blessings, he's really also talking about needs. It sounds kind of funny to say it that way, but that is what he's talking about. And I want you to do me a favor because we're going to go through how Jesus lays out why we all have needs and why we all have hurts, habits, and hangups in our life. Let's go back up to the top of page one. He starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. Next to the first check mark under reality is filled with needs. Just write verses 3 and 4. Here's what Jesus is saying here. How many of you have seen those guys on the end of 19th Avenue and I-17 as you come down the off-ramp? You know who I'm talking about? The street guys, the the beggars, the ones who have their hand out, the ones who are somehow living outside in this 
cold weather and don't have a whole lot to themselves. That word poor in the phrase poor in spirit means that in terms of our spirituality, that's what we are. We are that guy at the end of the off-ramp on I-17 and 19th Avenue who has nothing to give to God but can only stand there with our hands out almost embarrassingly and ask for help. And what does Jesus say about spiritual beggars? He says, we're blessed when we're standing there like that guy with our hands out. Not saying, God, I have so much to offer to you, but simply thinking, God, I believe you have so much to offer me. He's saying, it's going to be a happy day when you can get to that place where you recognize how deep your spiritual need really is because of sin in your life, because of the separation from God that you've experienced in your life because of your sins. That when you get to that point where where you're willing to admit, I'm that guy. And, And guess what? When you get to that point, Jesus says you'll be blessed, but doesn't mean everybody else is going to look at you all that great. How how do we sometimes look at that guy at the end of the off-ramp? And and when we put ourselves spiritually in that position, guess what? People are going to look at us that way too and go, man, that spiritually, that guy is impoverished. And he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What he's really saying is you're going to experience loss in life. And it's going to be little things. You're going to be, you're going to be unhappy when you, when, when, when you lose that old iPod that you had stuck in the, in the closet and, and you thought, well, I'm just going to pull that back out and you can't find it anywhere. And you go, ah, where's my, little things are going to cause you to go, ah, where's, where's that iPod? But you're also going to experience big losses in life. You lose your mom and your dad, your grandma and your grandpa, your brothers and your sisters. You lose that beloved pet that you've had with you for 14, 15, 16 years, and it's going to, live, it's going to leave a big hole in your heart. That's what Jesus is saying to, to the disciples. These guys were, they were bonding and they were developing friendships. Once Jesus died and rose again, they got scattered over the face of the earth. They were not able to stick together anymore. They lost a little bit of that. I, I know what that feels like. I'll bet you know what that feels like. I spent 14 years in Africa. And the first year that I came back from Africa, which had become my home, was brutal. I grieved and mourned the loss of what I had worked to consider home. Even though, guess what? I grew up right here in Phoenix, Arizona. I thought in one way I was coming home, but in another way I had left home. It's hard to lose. And Jesus says, guess what? There are going to be times when you're going to be presented with issues because of these kinds of things happening in your life. And they're going to be deep, deep hurts. So will you write that down? You're going to experience hurts that are created by issues that you do have. An issue being maybe a loss that you experience or a sin that you commit against someone else because you're poor in spirit. 
and you've hurt someone else, and you know you've hurt someone else. You know you've hurt your God, and that's going to hurt. And other people are going to sin against you, and that's going to hurt because they're poor in spirit too. Jesus goes on and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let me ask you to do me a favor. Circle some words for me, will you? We're going to go through and circle some character traits. So circle the word merciful. And then circle in verse 8 the words pure in heart. In verse 9, circle the word peacemaker. And that's good. That's enough for now. Look at those words. Just study them for a moment. The ones you just circled. Do you consider yourself to be any of those? Now let me, let me challenge you a little bit. I'm going to hurt your heart a little bit, okay? So just be ready for it. I always like to warn people when I'm going to come at them with a sledgehammer. I'm thinking some of Jesus' disciples thought, well, no wonder I'm following him. Look at me. I'm a peacemaker. And obviously Jesus called me because if there's anybody that's pure in heart, I'm pretty pure in heart. And then... Jesus does something pretty amazing. After the Beatitudes, he continues with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Have you, have you ever heard that sermon? Like in that sermon, he levels us. So you think you're pure in heart. Okay, you probably think that because you think that as long as you have never physically committed an act of adultery, you're pure. But let me tell you, that if you have ever once, guys, looked at a lady with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So how's that for your purity of heart? Oh, oh, oh okay, Jesus. And, and, and you over there who said, I'm a peacemaker. I, I know you can probably say you've never taken a club and beaten anyone to death. You've never knifed anyone in the back. But do you know what God teaches? He says that if you're harboring hatred in your heart, then you are a murderer. If you can't get past your vengeful thoughts and forgive the person who hurt you, you are a murderer. So, peacemaker? Mm, I don't think so. Those are sledgehammer truths that strike right at our heart. And the reality is every one of those words you circled, naturally, I am not any of them and you are not any of them. Not by nature. Because we're born with a sinful nature and we are the opposite of all of these traits. So here's what I want you to write down. You see, when you are the opposite of all of those traits, you develop habits that emerge from the opposite of those character traits. And so you, you get to have habits that emerge from your lustful heart. Pastor Dan talked last week about viewing porn on the computer. Where does that habit come from? Because you have lust in your heart. 
Some of you can't get past the hurt and you're still harboring it. You're angry. You, you do little things at work because somebody did something to you at work. And you're like, that guy's going to respect me, so he's going to get a little payback now. You give somebody the cold shoulder because you're still struggling with your anger and your hatred. And so that's your way, your passive-aggressive way of getting back at them. You're not a peacemaker. And you develop habits that are created by traits that you do not have. This is tough stuff. No wonder Pastor Dan gave the keys back to me. Just kidding. Here's how Jesus closes this out. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know one of the chief forms of denial in our world today, in this community today, in this church today, one of the biggest forms of not being real is the belief that we have that life should be smooth. That 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 in pursuing happiness, as our constitution says, we should always get happiness. We should always arrive there and life is supposed to be good and easy and smooth. And let me just say, Jesus tells us that's a lie. In fact, that's a lie if you have read Genesis chapter 3, only three chapters into the Bible, because what does it tell us? It says, after the world fell into sin and was overcome by sin... God comes back into the garden and says, hey, Adam, dude, remember how nice it was to, to, to be able to get your food out of the Garden of Eden? Well, dude, that's done now. You, you from now on, whenever you grow stuff, you're going to encounter resistance. There's going to be weeds. And you're going to have to fight for every vegetable you harvest, for every fruit you pick. It's going, to be, it's going to be a war on the ground out there, literally, for you. And to Eve, Eve, by the way, the moment that is supposed to be the moment of greatest joy in your life that you anticipate and you think, oh, a child is going to be the moment of greatest pain in your life. And that, brothers and sisters, is only part of the story. Because now you're here and some of you are Christ followers. Some of you are considering becoming a Christ follower. So those of you who are considering this life of being a Christ follower, I want you to know up front what Jesus says to, to Christ followers. He says, if you want to come after me, take up your, anyone? Cross and follow me. So cross meaning that's your skis to get through life easily? No. Nope. Why do we say to ourselves, why is this so difficult? Why, why do we constantly have this little refrain running in our mind of, it's not supposed to be this hard? Because it is supposed to be this hard. God has told us it's going to be this hard. Jesus has said, if you follow me, you're doubling down on the hardness factor the difficulty factor goes up. And yet, because we expect 
life to be light and easy in a bed of roses, what happens is we get really hurt when events happen to us and we hold on to them and we become bitter because of them. How many of us are still holding on to stuff that happened to us that some elementary school kid did or, or, or something that was done to us when we were 12 years old or, or our high school friends? We have memories of how high school, I don't even know if you want to call them friends, but they, they said stuff and you're, you're like, oh, I want to make sure I don't run into that jerk at the high school reunion. How many of you are holding on to stuff from your spouse, from your parents, from your children? And that's why we call them hangups because they've got us snagged with anger and bitterness and thoughts of revenge. Here's what I want you to write down. See, reality is filled with needs because you have hurts created by issues that you do have, habits created by traits that you don't have, and hang-ups created by events that happen in your life. And here's the thing. Because we have a God complex, we're always convincing ourselves of this lie that we're in control. I can control my pain. Do Do you know that Medications in this country have gone up every year for the last however long to control depression and other types of emotional pain, anxiety. Because we're trying to control it. We're trying to control people. We're afraid, oh, what if he, she doesn't do what I say I want him to do? We're trying to, to control our problems And most of all, and this is the one that really kills, we're trying to control our image. We want to get that mask and glue it on with super glue. I don't want anybody knowing who I really am down deep. It's so hard to be real. But look at what Paul says. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's what he's telling his disciples. Guys, be strong in truth. Be real. Because a reality check is the beginning of resilience. Instead, see this phrase, speaking the truth in love. We don't have to be mean about it. We don't even have to be mean to ourselves, but speak the truth. Because when you do, there's an opportunity. We will grow. You speak the truth, you grow. Circle that word grow and put like three exclamation points by it. You speak the truth. You can do it lovingly. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. And it starts with this one key realization, this one key reality. It's the centurion's reality. Jesus is God and I am not. And therefore I need to come to Jesus, the healer, and say, I need help. I need help because Jesus, you are God and I am not. I'm going to stop trying to shoulder the responsibility of all this stuff in life. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you shoulder it because you're a God. Flip the page. Here's what I'm telling you. And, and I ho- you know, we're going to speed through this last page real quick, so buckle your seatbelt. But I want you to really get this loud and clear. Your needs are like doors. And behind those doors, 
is immense opportunity to grow and become connected to Jesus Christ, the healer, and to experience healing, eternal healing from your sin and the gift of eternal life, and often and frequently healing right now. But if you keep those doors firmly closed because you're like, I don't want anybody looking behind those doors, what happens to the opportunity? Our refusal to be real people, to be strong in truth, to admit our weaknesses, to own up to our neediness and our needs is what kills opportunity for us to grow and to be connected to Jesus. Now look at what happens to a guy who does open up. Paul the apostle has this thing, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And I think he calls it that not because it's an actual thorn, it's, it's something, and he doesn't reveal what it is. It could have been a spiritual temptation or issue. It could have been a physical thing that he had. It's kind of good that he doesn't reveal it because we can kind of plug in our own thing in there. But he prays and prays and prays and prays and says, God, take this away from me. I can be so much more for you if you will take this thorn in the flesh, this issue, this need away from me. And God says, no. No, not going to do it. Like now, this is what you got to get. Jesus went around and he healed all those people before the Sermon on the Mount. But sometimes God says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's what I want you to put in that fill in. If if our slide man hasn't put that up already, uh, probably worried that I wasn't going to get to it, and rightfully so. At the top of the page, right behind the reality of my need lies great opportunity. You see what Paul is saying? I only have the opportunity to see God's grace when I opened up and got transparent and real about my need. And then God came and said, my grace is going to be enough for you. My power is going to be made perfect when you are weak. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions. Really, is this guy kind of one of those ultra-positive possibility thinkers? No, he's a believer in Jesus Christ. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because here's my bottom line conclusion. When I open up to God and get transparent, here's what I know. When I'm weak, he's God. And that means he's strong. And that's all I need. Paul experienced this. Even though he had things go on in his life, that represented true and deep needs. What he didn't have, because he says this in so many ways, I've learned the secret of being content, no matter what the situation, what what the circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry. Paul says stuff like that. Why? Because even though he still had tough stuff happen to him, and even though he still had needs, he had been healed of what happens to you and me when you don't, shuck off the God complex. You know what happens when you keep taking on responsibility that only God can bear? You know what the consequences of that are? Some of you are experiencing those consequences. 
trying to be God, trying to play God, and your heart is constantly filled with fear because you're thinking, how am I going to do this? This just is impossible. I can't, I can't stand up under this. Your heart is filled with frustration because you keep trying and trying and trying and it's not working. Your heart is filled with fatigue. You are just bone tired because you're trying to be God and you don't have his strength. And finally, (laughs) there's that little, very negative thought creeping into your head that says, I am nothing but a failure. Paul didn't say those things because instead he was saying what's above here. And he had experienced, and you can experience, healing of fear, frustration, fatigue, and the feeling that you are a failure when you allow Jesus to be your healer by simply coming clean to him. Look at God's promises. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you underline, circle, star the words, all your needs? See, when you come to Jesus, the healer with your needs, he's going to meet them because he is the capital S solution for the capital P problem of sin. He's your savior. You want to know what's the only thing that can keep your sins from being forgiven? That can keep you from experiencing a greater purity and healing of your heart and your mind? That same apostle John tells us, he says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just just sit there and think about that promise for just a moment. That's amazing. If we will open up, bear our chest, be real people, the promise is clear. All our sins are going to be wiped away. That's amazing. If we claim we have not sinned, Here here it is. If we keep those doors firmly closed, if we keep the mask super glued on and we're we're not willing to be authentic and thus we're not willing to be vulnerable before God, John says, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. See, the first part of that is why Pastor Dan taught us last week the most important part to being a spiritually resilient person is to simply rest in Jesus and his promises. Look at those promises. One last one, Isaiah 58, 11. <laughs> Man, why would we not want to rest in these words? The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Wow. He will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory. He will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. Our life is going to be like a well-watered garden. Those are some promises that you can really sit down in. But here's what I'm telling you this week. 
If you want to meet Jesus, the healer, it begins with being strong in truth. It begins with the willingness to be vulnerable and transparent and take the mask off and, and, and be real people. It begins by saying, I need help. And I, I want to strongly encourage you. You know, we have this part, part of this series is about our, our, um, our group that we have on Saturday night, our growth group that is a, a recovery and resiliency group. And I am awestruck every week when that group meets and they just open up about what's really happening in their lives. And you, you sit back and you just go, whoa, did he just say that? How honest, how real. And it's a kind of honesty and reality you don't often see. If I could take that quality that these guys have and these gals have and just pour it into every heart in this room, I would do it. Because that's where resilience starts. By exposing, opening those doors of need to expose the opportunity to know Jesus that lies behind. Here's how I want to close out. Poor Matt back there in the, in the booth. Matt, here's what I want us to do. Put up that slide of, of John Ortberg. Here's, here's what, this is a great way to close this. John Ortberg wrote kind of a paraphrase of the Beatitudes. And I love this. This is, this is what he's saying. When, when you get it and you open up, then, then you have an opportunity, which is on the second slide. Let me just read this. Blessed are not just the supermodels. Blessed are not just the rich and powerful who can attract trophy partners. Blessed are the wrinkled. Blessed are the misshapen. Blessed are those who never got asked to the prom, who never got asked to dance. Blessed are the single. Blessed are the married. Blessed are the prostitutes, the addicted, the shamed, and the regretful. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed are you, not because you can have every desire fulfilled, but because you are not your desires. Blessed are you because you are more than a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes. Blessed are you because what you really ache for, ache for, is to be loved by and connected to God. And now Jesus says, that love, that life, that connection, it's yours if you want it through him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Your your Father in heaven, thank you for, for urging us begging us to open up and be transparent, take our masks off, be strong in truth, and understand that resilience begins with a reality check. Lord, help embed in every person's heart and mind that little phrase, resilience begins with a reality check. We, and, and make us willing in our hearts and minds to get real with each other. First of all, with you, to be transparent and vulnerable. Then secondly, of all with ourselves, to be transparent and vulnerable. And finally, with, with a few carefully chosen people that we trust, like people in our growth group, to be transparent and vulnerable and open up and know that your love is steadfast and firm and always there and your forgiveness follows every last time. Lord, we ask you to heal the hurts and the habits and the hangups that are in this room today and let them know that you are truly 
there we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. So if you look at your crosswalk notes, you notice this. We've had two weeks. The first was rest in Jesus and his promises. And today was expose the opportunity behind the need. And our word is resilience. So I think you can see where we're going. Rest, expose. You do not want to miss an S. Like, how are you going to get through life if you don't have an S? So what I'm telling you is if you want the S, you got to come back next week and pick up the S. And in fact, I'd encourage you to stay with us through the whole series. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord and be resilient out there.